but I would advise spending more time being careful in researching the expensive problems that your clients have so you know exactly what kind of service to make in the first place. Uh, a lot of people come out with services that are just like, I'm going to A-B test today. And it's like, well, why? There's no so what to it. Like they need to answer deeper questions about what they're, they're doing to improve the client's condition. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier and a healthier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brennan Dunn, and I am back after about a week and a half down in Florida. We drove down with the kids to visit my parents um, and some of our friends and family, because as of this week, the girls are back in school. So good news for me, since I work from home, because I can record anytime really between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., and know that the house will be quiet. So uh, if you've heard any kids yelling in the background uh, for anything that I've recorded, at least over the last few months, hopefully that'll uh, that'll be a thing of the past, or at least until next summer. But um, I've had a lot going on outside of, outside of the trip down to Florida. Um, if you've been following my newsletter and everything, you'll know that I released Freelance Answers. If you go to wfreelancing.com, you can find all the episodes. They're going... I'm pushing out one a day. Uh, while I was in Florida, I had to pause them because I didn't have my recording set up. Um, I did one recording from the road, but I you know, I wanted to be back in my office and didn't have too much time to actually record while in Florida. So I've been recording them today. We also have the, the conference, again, in full swing. Really, things are tying together very nicely. So if you haven't got your ticket yet and you do want to go, try to do that. And if you go to the site and it's still before the 16th and the purchase button isn't there, well, um, there's next year too. <laughs> but yeah, today I, I sat down and I, I met with Nick Desbato. And Nick is a good friend. We've known each other since Bacon Biz two years ago, I think, two or three years ago in Philadelphia where I met Nick. And Nick lives in Chicago and he's, whenever I talk about productized anything, I'm almost always referencing Nick. Nick's put together a business called Draft Revise, which is a monthly productized offering where he helps companies optimize their website, optimize their copy and everything. And he's done so well with this. I mean, he's gone from doing uh, more transactional consulting, like web design and everything, to this being his full-time effort. Um, he now works on Draft full-time. He has a lot of customers paying him, you know, thousand, two thousand a month. It's turned into a great business for him. So rather than referencing and pointing to Nick, um, whenever I talk about productized consulting, I wanted to bring Nick on to talk, you know, about the company he's built, how he's done it, what sort of advice he has for anyone who wants to get into building their own productized service. So enjoy the interview. And um, yeah, here's Nick. All right, I would like to welcome my good friend Nick Desbato to the Business of Freelancing podcast. Nick, uh, as a DYFC mentor slash Slack buddy slash friend slash drinking pal when we're in person hanging out. Awesome talking to you as always. And uh, welcome to the show. 
Absolutely. Happy to be here, Brennan. Uh, yeah, my name is Nick Sabato. I run a design consultancy called Draft. Uh, you can take a look at what we do at draft.nu. See, I always put, okay, Desa. Okay, uh, no one gets it. Yeah, I, you're fine. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Nick, you're the kind of like the perennial guy that gets referenced whenever any of us talk about productized consulting. So, it's, you know, it just makes sense to bring you on um, to talk about specifically, let's talk about how productized consulting can be used as a tool to be more selective, you know, to be. To, to be more choosy, I guess, of your clients. But before we move on, when we say productized consulting, let's say somebody's just subscribed this morning to the podcast, what do you mean by that? That is a fantastic question. So if you are a consultant, you tend to do things that are often repeatable. They're the same thing that you end up doing over and over and over again. And I came up with the brilliant idea that I think a lot of other people have had to sell your consulting services as if they're a product. So you give them a name, you give them a usually a fixed price point, and you put it on your website with a sales letter and say, hey, I'm going to sell this service to you. And it's not necessarily a software tool. It's not a SaaS business. It's a it's you behind a keyboard solving these problems. You may be using a couple of tools, but it's mostly you bringing your expertise to bear on their business. You know, it's funny. I uh, just yesterday I hired this uh, mosquito company, right? Where it's a monthly fee, and they will come to your house twice a month and basically have a guy who, using off-the-shelf stuff, probably from Home Depot, just sprays stuff in your yard and then drives away, right? right. And it's like, right. wow, like. <laughs> I mean, this is everywhere outside of kind of the web consulting space, right? Like, I mean, that's, you know, it's it's manpower, right? Multiplied by some sort of talent or skill, rather. And, um, you know, it's priced. It, it has a price tag attached to it. And yeah. Yeah, this has been a typical thing in, um, I think, more labor-intensive vocational services. Uh, I, there's a florist that delivers to you every two weeks. I subscribe to uh, community-supported agriculture where farmers just drop vegetables on my front porch and I eat them. And uh, that happens on a periodic basis. So it's essentially framed as a retainer engagement most of the time. What I do is a service called Draft Revise where I run A-B tests for your website every month. You pay me on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis and you don't think about it. I just run Visual Website Optimizer and update your Git repository whenever there's a successful test and send you reports every month. And, uh, you know, eventually you have a better, more functioning website. This is effectively no different from the mosquito situation that you're talking about. I'm just using a... I'm not going to Home Depot quite as often. So. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a few things now uh, where you have like a... Do you still have that report option where it's like a one-off thing? Yeah. So what happened with Draft Revise was it became successful and I... Um, backed a lot of services out of it. So one thing that I do when I sign you on as a draft revised client is do a giant teardown of your site and give you a plan for A-B testing it. I made that a standalone product called Revise Express, and you pay me $500 as a one-off, and I do a giant teardown for your site. That goes to a discount for Draft Revise if you want to sign up for a monthly engagement or if we think it's a good fit. It's a very good way for you to test the waters. It's very low risk. It can usually fit on your petty cash card or whatever you need. Basically, you tell me a little bit about your site and then I go away and two weeks later you have a report. So it's um, you know very low involvement for you and it, it really hopefully 
gets a lot of uh, creative juices flowing on your end where you get a different perspective and you really start to think about your site in a different way. Right. Um, that's a huge goal for me there. Yeah. Right. But then you have, I mean, revise the, the standard draft revises the recurring. That's obviously what you want primarily because it's recurring and it's it's not a bunch of one off sales. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Draft revises uh, my bread and butter and I have two spreadsheets. One has all of my expenses and the other has all of my draft revise and other monthly commitments. And I want the latter number to be bigger than the, lo- uh, the former number. That is the ultimate goal that I'm having there. Draft revise is the primary way that I get income and then revise express. I also have a book called cadence and slang. Any sales from those things it, I treat it as just gravy income at that point. It's passive income. And if you turn into a draft revised customer based on your previous sales, you know, all the better. But those are ways to kind of ladder people up to bigger offerings. Yep. Yep. So to go back to the selectivity thing, why is it important to be, you know, why be selective? Like, why, do, why does it matter who you work with and, you know, the kind of client they are and everything else? And I know ideally with productized consulting, you're basically front loading. You know, I like to say you're basically front-loading the proposal that you would typically do with a normal client. You know, typically you get a new client or you get a new prospect and you meet with them and you learn about their business and you learn about their needs. And then you issue a proposal, which is pretty much a productized or I mean, it's not it's not a productized thing, but you're basically niching down and you're saying, here's your problem. Here's how I'm helping you solve it. What productization seems to be doing is kind of front-loading a lot of that into your marketing. So how does how does that fit into kind of niching or selectivity? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I you know you Brennan always talk about increasing the number of leads that are coming in, and I actually think writing a productized marketing page decreases the number of leads that I have coming in, but it increases the number of qualified leads that I have coming in. The signal to noise ratio is way higher, and it's just so much better for me to not have to deal with chasing work that's not actually all that interested. They've read through the page and they've decided either this isn't for us and we don't want it, or yes, we absolutely want to go forward with it. One thing that I do with my pages is I just have a very confident point of view in the way that I write and the tone of my writing. And I think that that serves as a bromide for the type of clients that I want to attract. To directly answer your question about why it's important to be selective around that, well, it's good for the health of my business because I'm happy doing the work that I want to be doing. It's uh, good for them because they're excited to be doing the work and uh, I'm able to bring results a lot more effectively. And just for my own mental health, it's a lot less like overhead chasing proposals that aren't going to actually bear fruit and a lot less hand-wringing about when people are going to pay me or if they're going to pay me or whatever have you. You just end up getting higher quality clients with more interesting problems. And I think we all got into this line of work to try and to try and attack those sorts of problems and really get that kind of work that that we deserve. Okay. So you, let's say you have a landing page up and it, it has, um, you know, you help e-commerce companies become more profitable. You talk a lot about the, the problems and kind of the needs are in that space, which is very, you know, you're targeting a certain kind of company. Um, let's say you, you know, you have a price point or a minimum, say five grand a month. I mean, at that point, you're very, you're starting, I mean, five grand a month, like the, the guy selling baseball hats on his little podunk uh, Shopify site is probably not going to be able to afford that. So you're, you're speaking to a different caliber of client at that point, right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess one of the one of the bits of pushback I get from some people is, um, well, if I'm going to target like, 
you know, companies that are just like this, that have this problem and blah, 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 and like very focused. Yeah, I'm going to get fewer leads because most people are kind of like self-disqualifying themselves, which is good for me because it reinforces those who are qualified. But um, so by the time they opt in, you know, or submit a lead, your lead form, it's like, great. You know, the, at that point, they're basically ready to become customers. Well, you know, a lot of the pushback is, well, you know, when I get bored, like if I do that, like you, don't you get bored just running A-B tests all day? Wouldn't you love, I mean, you're a designer, like, wouldn't you love to just be able to design logos sometimes too and stuff, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to design logos sometimes. I would like to do more design in my design practice. That's been a business goal of mine for the past six months or so. And I'm working in that direction a little bit. I like having a variety in my work routine. But to go back to your question, there have been two nice consequences to draft revise. One is that I'm getting faster at doing it, more experienced at doing it, which allows me to just fulfill the work in less period of time. So I end up doing maybe 15 to 20 hours of actual draft revised work every week. Uh, Another consequence of that is I'm able to increase my rates so I can have fewer clients. I launched draft revised at $650 a month, and now it hovers around $2,000 depending on what your needs are. Uh, $2,000 is kind of the mode right now uh, where I'm at, the most frequent uh, charge for my customers depending on how large they are. So I'm able to take on fewer clients, which is a lot less stressful. And the rest of my time I spend writing and reading and uh, thinking about my profession and doing like one-off design projects for people. You know, I like being known as the A-B testing guy to a degree because it means that I have a a amount of authority in my field and uh, people really respect me for what I do. And I'm able to get incredibly rock-solid, stable work and you know, we should all be grateful to have rock solid, stable work coming in and have a continuous pipeline. If you think boredom is a trade off, maybe it is a worthy trade off. I don't know. Um, it really depends on what your priorities are around it and what you get out of the work. You know, if you're A B testing for SaaS businesses every day, maybe you are bored with that and you want to start doing e commerce. Well, that's an easy way to jump over and do something else. My thought has been people are a little too quick to get to the, to the thinking that you know, it's like a factory line assembling. I mean, you know, your each of your clients is totally different probably. And, you know, they all, yeah, the, the kind of overarching mechanics might be similar, but the kind of experience you're running, the audience you're writing uh, copy for, I mean, they're not uniform, right? So there yeah. is a lot of variety. You're exactly right. So the plurality of my clients are SaaS businesses. And when I wrote Draft Revise's initial marketing page, I was thinking about a SaaS business owner in mind uh, because they had uh, this kind of cash on hand. They recognized the value of A-B testing. I knew a lot of them in my industry, and I thought that would work. But then maybe 40% of my clients I would call other, you know, uh, e-commerce. I had a tech blog come in. I've had a couple agencies come in. I've had software like actual downloadable software uh, development shops come in and uh, all of them have interesting problems. Even if I were just doing SaaS, I still find really fascinating problems within all of that. And I haven't gotten all that terribly bored about what I do. Yeah, I mean, Um, SaaS is just a business model. It's not a specific kind of company, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like my... I have... uh, a DNS hosting company that I've worked with. I have a time tracking company. I have a uh, 
what's it, a bug tracking company that I've worked with. And all three of those, you know, they are a little bit more development heavy and a little bit more for the, the geeky set but and B2B. But like, that's really the only things that unite those kinds of problems. They're all attacking different pains. And if you focus on that, then all of a sudden you're able to come at it from the the company's perspective, your client's perspective. And that's incredibly valuable, both for you to maintain empathy for your client's condition and also for you to find the joy in your work. Right. So let's, let's talk about my favorite subject, which is pricing. You know, when it, when it comes to pricing these services, and I was actually just in a, one of the office hours calls for W freelancing clients, uh, right before we got on this call. And I, somebody was asking about pricing, almost like a draft revised express that he is using as almost like a tripwire to get people into his full-blown consulting uh, business. You know, he was asking about pricing. That's something that, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about value-based pricing and kind of, uh, or value-based anchoring and the distinction between the two, but how do productized consulting and the ideas around value-based pricing relate to each other? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. I I know a few of my colleagues believe that they're fundamentally in conflict, and I don't necessarily believe that has to and be. Why the would case. they think? What do they say they're in conflict? Like why? They say they're in conflict because you put a fixed price on your page. So I say uh, Revise Express, you're paying a specific so amount. So Google of money. comes around, right? They're going to be yeah. paying you two grand a month. Exactly. And that's crazy. So uh, the way that I address that with Draft Revise is there's no price on the page anymore. And I ask you about your needs, which is why I said the mode was $2,000. I have people paying more and I have people paying me less. And it really depends on what the size of your company is and what your needs are. So you don't have to necessarily put them in conflict if you don't disclose the pricing. But didn't, you, way to, didn't you say that, you know, if the point of being more selective, though, is you get to weed out the Duds. I mean, how does, how does that keep away the people who are wanting to pay $15 a month? Yeah, I was just going to get to that. You, you put minimum and maximum bounds on your page. So you say you have to be getting at least this many customers or this much revenue or have, you know, this many sales in a given month in order to be good for our service. If you have more than that, contact us and we'll put together a custom package for you. So this goes back to SaaS pricing, right? If you just look at any SaaS's business model, they have a lower plan, a higher plan, and then the grand deluxe Enterprise. call us yeah. plan. Yeah, right. like... And if you want the deluxe wash, then call us and we can talk to you and you're Google and I'm going to charge you out the wazoo and it's going to be fantastic uh, and we're all going to be happy. And if you're too small, one really nice thing with A-B testing in particular is there is kind of a lower cap on it where you're not going to be getting statistical significance on tests. So I can tell you this is actually not going to work out for us. It's uh, not going to give you the kind of value or results that you think it's going to give you. And, you know, if you want to cite Teardown, go over to Revise Express and I could do that for anybody. With a smaller engagement, you can just say, hi, I'm going to put a minimum cap on this. Why? Because I'm capable of delivering business results to people who make more than this. Um, I launched an offering pretty recently where I said, uh, you can't apply to this unless you make over $300,000 a year as a SaaS business. And that's because... A, it costs a lot of money and I don't want you to make bad decisions. And B, I don't think that it's actually capable of addressing the problems that you've got in front of you at this present time. Um, you need to expand a little bit more and get into a bigger league. So you're qualifying out the lead by doing that. And that allows you to price on value or at least predict that value more accurately with whatever price you do choose to disclose. So does that mean that when, you know, on your marketing site, you might have a minimum but when somebody 
contacts you, are they, are you coming up with like a custom quote depending on what you learn about them and their needs? Yeah, with draft revised, I don't even have a minimum posted anymore. I used to say it was $650 a month and now it's just call us. And, okay. um, and people will ask me about pricing later on in the process. Uh, I think they recognize that if they're applying, they're probably going to be less price conscious also. They're just like, we want to do A-B testing. He'll give us a reasonable quote. And I write it in a one-page PDF. I'm just like, here it is. Here's your invoice. And I plug in a NUMC and it charges you that amount of money. And uh, so I have it pretty automated on my front. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So my take on kind of the one of the perks of... Uh, productized consulting is literally, um, you know, it's consulting that's almost like a SaaS, like we talked about, right? Where you show up, you buy, and then you're you're on it. But I mean, how much do, wouldn't this kind of like pricing done later lend itself to a longer kind of sales process where you're needing to, um, you know, come up with the the different, you know, the quotes, and then maybe possibly have negotiation end up needing or client wanting to negotiate, you know, something like, doesn't that degrade into, into kind of what most of us think of when we think of like straight up consulting? It can. I think that a way that I've addressed that is by having a pretty regimented process about, about how people come in. So you apply, I do kind of a go, no go look at your application and determine if this is legit. We'll schedule a Skype call. And then I just get on a Skype call and talk to you a little bit. And I start to ask questions about your business. Like how many customers have you gotten lately? Why are you coming in to do this? Um, and a lot of the questions that I'm asking are trying to nail down exactly what your MRR is yeah. <laughs> without actually coming out and asking yeah. what your MRR is. Um, and, and asking, okay, well, you know, have you been growing at this rate? What do you think optimization will do for you? Will it cause you to grow faster? Is growth stagnating? Is that why you're coming in? You know, how many employees do you have? That's a really good way of pegging down like what your recurring revenue looks like. If you already have a team, like that's terrific. I will say only about 20% of clients get to this stage. There are a lot of people that apply that I just immediately qualify out because their sites don't get enough traffic or they want it as a sack of money button and not a vetting design decisions button. You know, once we get to the point where I'm on a Skype call, I'm spending maybe a half hour every few weeks on these calls and just talking to them about what availability looks like and all that. Um, if they ask me about price on the line and I'm able to quote a price to them, I'll be like, I'll get it in writing, but it's going to be $2,000. And, and I'm able to do that pretty straight-faced at this point and, and quote a decent figure. Well, you've had, I mean, you have history um, yeah. having practiced that, but you also have examples and case studies of, of a lot of this, right? So you're not like BSing this new AB thing. You, I mean, it's something that people know that this is your thing and you know, you're not just pulling things out of thin air, I guess. Yeah, and I can tell them on the call, you know, a lot of A-B testing engagements, you can generally see a 1% to 3% increase in revenue over the next six months if I'm doing my job well. And if I'm not doing my job well, you should fire me. Yeah. And what and, does that mean for you? Like, what does it mean for a $100,000 a month business to add three grand a month? Right. You know? And then I'm charging you two grand a month. And you have that three grand a month durably for the foreseeable. And it might go up even from there. Um, so yeah, that's something that I try and, and establish. And, and I think a lot of this is just because I've gotten very good at having this process. I have, uh, in the past, I've had draft revised for two years as of yesterday. I've talked with probably around 50 clients on the phone in those two years and signed on 23. 
you know, some of them have parted ways, some of them have stuck around, but but that's the numbers that we're dealing with. And so I've gotten very experienced at understanding, okay, you're a team of seven, you're probably making around this much money. If I quote you this price, I'm probably not leaving a whole lot of money on the table and I'm going to have a really good time working with you. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it has come from practice at this point. Nice, nice. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the listeners have found out that you know, not everyone is working full time. A lot of them are thinking of moving into becoming a full time freelancer or full time consultant. I mean, is this like advanced level freelancing that people should hold off on until they have a lot of uh, direct client experience under their belt? Like, what do you, what do you think in terms of like, I don't know, experience requirements? I guess um, for yeah. for jumping into this. Yeah, that is a fantastic question. I think it's um, it's not like special topics in consulting, but it's definitely a little bit more advanced as what you would do when you start out. You could maybe do something smaller. Uh, I would advocate doing like a site teardown or I re- like design one page for you in a day or something like that. That might be one way to kind of dip your toes into like one-off engagements and stuff like that. But doing the big monthly type engagement, you want somebody that has a longer pedigree. If you've been in the industry for 15 years and then you're just starting out freelancing, maybe you're probably sophisticated enough to get into this. But I would advise spending more time being careful and researching the expensive problems that your clients have so you know exactly what kind of service to make in the first place. A lot of people come out with services that are just like, I'm going to A-B test today. And it's like, well, why? You know, what what are you doing to do that? Like, and and a lot of people just say, I'll do it for this amount of money. And there's no so what to it. Like they need to answer deeper questions about what they're they're doing to improve the client's condition. Yeah. On the point of like starting out or or, you know, just getting started full time freelancing. One of the things I like to tell people, too, when it comes to this decision of should I productize or not, is this could be like an addendum to your business, right? Like it doesn't need a whole you don't need to say as of tomorrow, I will only do this productized service. And if anyone else comes to me, I will turn them away. I mean, I I think that's unless you really have a solid business, that's really risky, I think. And what I've told people is like, look at it as by having this strongly positioned productized service that is basically front loading your, your ultimate proposal that you would do on a normal engagement. It's you're adding another acquisition channel. It's a different, you know, it's one new source of qualified project leads. It's not, it doesn't need to be, I know you're doing kind of like normal-ish, like broader consulting beforehand, right? Is that something, I mean, did you like, I mean, obviously money talks to degree, but like if, if a client came to you and said, Hey Nick, I've got a hundred grand. I need a new site designed. Even if you were just, you know, starting out doing this, I, I'm sure you might consider that, right? I've like, already done that multiple times yeah. in the past couple of years. I, I charge a lot more now because you're not only have I built up a pedigree from draft revise, but you're basically hosing the rest of my business so that I can do a new site design for you. So there's kind of the uh, annoyance tax that happens. There. But imagine too, you get a lot of people who might hire you for AB testing. And then like down the road, you're like, look, you've got something, you've got more than just a, a like copy problem, right? Like you need, you need something a little more uh, comprehensive, like a bigger engagement that's out of scope of draft revised. Let's talk about 
Yeah, yeah, that is a great point. And actually, a few days ago, I just launched a new service that kind of came out of some of the needs that I've been seeing with DraftRevise. So uh, a lot of the DraftRevise engagements I've taken on will be like, okay, well, now, you know, you've worked with us for 12 months or however long, like a long period of time, and you have optimized every part of the marketing funnel within an inch of its life, and it's converting extremely well, and you made us like tens of thousands of dollars extra per month. Now, when people are coming into our cool SaaS application, they're being greeted with like literally the default Twitter bootstrap theme. Can you please advise? And uh, I can. And so I launched a thing where basically I spend six months redesigning your entire SaaS web application and going through and it's, you know, at least a 60 page wireframe deck prototypes, a strategy for getting it launched, all of that stuff, uh, a research process around where customers are at. And uh, this is the thing I was talking about where you have to make at least $300,000 a year because you have to have been become big enough to really need it. Um, I think a lot of places they they grow and then they don't know how to get to the next level without a more significant rework of what they're doing. So um, and you discover that need via draft revise. Yes. Yes. Right. Some people would be like, Hey, can you redesign? Can you make a mobile wireframe for us? And I'm like, well, I can make one screen for you, <laughs> but like it's a holistic package. Yeah. You're laughing. You know how interaction design works. Yeah. It's not like I can give you a wireframe and be like, stay tuned for next month. Like, <laughs> the riveting conclusion to the story like that doesn't actually work that way so i've been putting that together and i launched this and to your earlier point zero people have applied uh but i also sold about uh eleven hundred dollars in copies of my book recently so people are looking at it and saying oh okay well this guy wrote this book about interaction design they're probably going to go off read my book and apply later because it's a $30,000 commitment and nobody's going to be like yeah we need that right now I need to drop mid five figures on some random person (laughs) that I found on Hacker News like no no but it's there to position my authority in the topic well and on top of that it it makes draft revisal comparatively cheap yeah sure does and draft revise you know tripled in price over the past two years yeah, yeah and now it looks cheap so let's talk about two years ago so two years ago is, you, you started it two years ago and um i think both what did, did patrick mckenzie and i both kind of like write something mentioning it i think at, at that point right yeah yeah you both wrote blog posts talking about productized consulting. yeah we were like this is awesome do it and, yeah basically. Um, so i mean I, I can make some hy- hypothetical assumptions about kind of your lifestyle changes as a result. I, I, I think the biggest one is probably that, um, I mean, this, this, you know, I see a lot of, especially technical freelancers, technical consultants, and they're like, I want to get into the SaaS world. And, you know, they build a SaaS and then they add customers at $20 a month. And they're like a year into it. And it's like, crap, I have like, you know, $2,000 MRR and it's been a year. Um, and, and then you come along and you're like launching a service and I know the price wasn't what it is now, but you know, you can get to that with one customer and you get 10 people paying you 2000 a month. Like you're going to wake up. I mean, we're recording this July. You're going to wake up August and you know, with some degree, I mean, yeah, maybe somebody churns out, but you're not going to lose all your clients. And on top of that, you kind of know what your income will be like, even though you don't have like a quote unquote uh, SaaS, like I think a lot of people assume is like the escape from uh, consulting to, 
kind of income stability. I think, you know, it's weird. I think we're all like preconditioned to this world of salary where like every two weeks, every month I get this paycheck that's mine and I can predict that and I know it's coming. And then you get in this like wild west freelancing thing where, um, you know, that, that all goes out the window. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. like, everyone's like, crap, I need to figure out how to make a recurring revenue business. So I'm going to start a software business and I'm going to sell it at, you know, $5 a month or something. And then and, like, and I'll be rich. Yeah. And then midway into that, they're like, why am I making no money with it? And I think just for so many of us, this is like, if you want that stability, if you don't want to be chasing clients every month, I mean, this is, this is the way to do that. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, obviously contrasting the numbers $20 a month versus $650 a month, there's significant difference there. The the big difference is that you can have effectively infinite $20 a month customers. And I, you know, started Draft Revise with 10 slots at $650 a month because I'm one person and I'm not scaling effectively. That said, attracting those customers at $20 a month and dealing with them and supporting them is is like hugely problematic. There's a talk called the long, slow SaaS ramp of death that was at MicroConf a couple of years ago that no, I think resonated. Or that business of uh, software business. Of one of them. Business Google software, the title. Yeah. It's amazing. It's the constant uh, contact person. Uh, I forgot her name, but yeah, it's a great yeah, talk. Yeah. And, and they talk basically about how hard it is to acquire customers and especially acquire high value customers. And to go through that is a level of madness and insanity that, uh, frankly, I don't have the constitution for. So um, I also want to be clear, I'm not a developer. I don't own a SaaS. Like I'm, I'm a designer trying to sell my services. So uh, with Draft Revise, I put it together. I sold all 10 slots within two weeks and made more money that month than had happened in the past six months of drafts existence. Um, and just all of a sudden found myself thrust into a new job, essentially. Like I had a completely different context for my work and a different way of pricing and positioning myself. And it was like, kind of whiplash to be honest like i had i was used to writing proposals and making one-off design engagements and all of a sudden all of the rules of the way that i do the job that i had theoretically invented for myself changed and uh it was i was not prepared for that um i had very low expectations for this i launched revise the day after a kickstarter that i was launching and put more publicity publicity efforts into the kickstarter thinking that that would be you know the majority of my income for that year and uh it was completely the opposite so you know to our earlier point you can launch a productized consulting service to crickets and it still makes you look cooler and more authoritative and more capable at solving certain problems. But for me, like it sold out immediately. It did extremely well in part because of uh, Patrick and your posts. And uh, that was, you know, really helpful. I've made uh, about $230,000 in draft revise over the past two years. And uh, it's been about 83 to 85% of my income pretty steadily ever since. And I just haven't I haven't had to worry about where the next paycheck comes from because I know it's coming. And that's the big thing is you have, I mean, you've got 10 clients at a time. Is that what you said? I have reduced it to five at this point okay. because I'm focusing on like coaching and other stuff, but okay. sure. Yeah. So let, let's say you have 10. I mean, again, it's kind of like, yeah, there's a risk that one of them might run out of money or cancel this month, but you know, okay, so you have a 10% of your income risk versus a, 
hey, I'm working on one client monogamously, they walk, oops, right? Like, I mean, it's just from a risk perspective, I think, I mean, you know, what, what I think we all want is stability and low risk, even the ones, those of us who are kind of uh, trying to say that, you know, we're all high risk entrepreneurs and stuff. I think at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we all want that. We all want stability uh, to a degree, even if we like gambling and we like risk and everything else. People promote the impression that they like to gamble, right? Like, but they they're gambling with you know two million in the bank or something <laughs> yeah, like that, exactly. and, and that's actually extremely low risk. It just looks like you're coming out like Yosemite Sam and going crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly it. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and and you know, to go to your point too about you could you could create this great productized service and you launch to crickets. Well, there's a blog post I wrote a few weeks ago on. Um, working in an industry you don't have experience in. And at the end of it, I think I actually said something like, even if you don't get any, even if, you know, nobody buys, you get the experience of having thought through a problem and figured out what the, how to solve it and how to tout the benefits of it and so on, which just makes things easier for for you in the future. Whether or not you're doing a one-off proposal or your second revision of you know, whatever productized service you came up with, it's, it's, I mean, I like it, you know, you start a new paid ad campaign, it's going to suck, right? Like, because you're paying for data at first, you're paying for that experience, and then you use what you learn to refine it and make and figure out why it's not working and you make it work versus saying, you know, giving up and just bailing. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like there's, it's so funny. Like I launched my first installment of my mailing list to 21 people and eight unsubscribed and like, (laughs) and it was by any measure of precipitous failure. And then I kept doing it and it was like, I would just call my mailing list slightly less of a failure at this point, but it's grown (laughs) by multiple orders of magnitude. Right. So, uh, Amy Hoy calls this stacking the bricks, right? You are coming in and doing the work and, you're playing the long game. If you're in an independent business, you have to be playing the long game or you're just not going to make anything stable or durable for yourself. And this is something that it's like an existential lesson that people need to be learning. It has nothing to do about the actual practice of business and everything to do about your own psychology, how you treat that, how you treat yourself. And, um, you know, that gives you a lot of like, I'm still practicing this. You learn a lot of lessons about how you operate, how you tend to be critical on yourself and how you tend to grow and uh, figure out how to adapt to that and, and really, you know, help yourself make the right decisions. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, Nick, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I will see you in, in the Slack channels of the, the back web, <laughs> the ether, the, yeah, the, exactly. dark, the dark internet <laughs> <laughs> best places for people to find you. I'd assume draft.nu for draft, uh, all Nick things D. draft org. Nick uh, yeah. org. Is that more your personal site or that's my personal okay. site. You can take a look at Nick DeSabato, the human there. And if you want Nick DeSabato, the business, Machine. you go to draft.nu. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, cadence.cc is my book. Uh, if you're interested in picking up a copy, uh, it is a how-to about interaction design projects, basically. So you'll you'll learn a lot from that. Cool. Well, Nick, thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. Total honor. It's really great. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Nick. And I've got six, seven recordings under my belt that I still need to push out. So... 
We've got a lot of content for the next two, three months that I'll be pushing out um, each week. So stick around if you like the podcast, love the kind of people that are coming on and, and telling their story and sharing their advice. Please head over to iTunes, give it a review if you can, if you haven't yet. And uh, with that said, I'll see you back next week for another exciting edition of the Business of Freelancing podcast. <laughs>